Are you like me? Do you watch television? Well, you've come to the right place. My name is Bill Brio, and this is Brio TV, the podcast. This episode is brought to you by Super Channel, providing viewers with exceptional value and variety, CTV, which urges you to get into it this fall, and Hollywood Suite, home of the best movies of the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Today's guest is somebody I've had the pleasure of speaking with for many times over the years and uh, going all the way back to my days at TV Guide Canada and his at uh, CBC on uh, a series called Midday. Uh, He later went on to a distinguished career as a news anchor on both sides of the border, working for ABC World News Now, as well as Good Good Morning America in New York. And uh, 20 years ago, launched the Global National from, uh, from Canada's West Coast. It's kept Canadians informed on top stories of the day as a CTV news anchor and host of W5. Please welcome Kevin Newman. Kevin, great to see you again. Good to see you again. I'm, I'm liking this. Oh, you like the Santa Claus beer, do you? Yeah, I, yeah, no, it works. I had one going for a while. Did you? Um, during COVID, yeah. And uh, I looked a lot like you. And then, um, <laughs> and then, and then, you know, as usual, I listened to my wife at some point and the way it went. <laughs> Mine was the other way around. She likes the beard. I'd probably shave it by now, but uh, maybe this way I'll pick up a few extra dollars at Christmas time at the mall or something, you know, hopefully. <laughs> I don't know. Too many anyway. malls open. Yeah, if the malls are open, then good Lord. Uh, Listen, congratulations. Uh, Let's talk right away about uh, Disruption, which is the name of this special that you've executive produced. And it's a look at, um, well, it's incredible, the 20th anniversary of Global National, right? Yeah, I mean, um, the thing I... um, I'm most proud of is that it's it's still around. I mean, we both know that there this has not been the the best of times for journalism, and that people who who launch new uh, journalistic endeavors uh, are finding it hard. I mean, this launched 20 years ago, but I mean, you'll remember e- even then, um, you know, we felt that media was under strain and and it was it was a difficult time to convince Canadians that they needed another national voice. So. Um, I, I'm, I'm proud that it's still there. And I mm-hmm. worked with Donna Friesen on this, who's the current anchor. And, uh, it was a, it was an, it was a good collaboration. We never worked before together. Wow. Yeah. Uh, no, it's a tremendously, um, hardy. And, and as you say, the landscape has changed so much, but even then in, um, 2001, you were, um, moving a newscast to the West Coast, you were moving it to the supper hour, the national newscast. It was quite uh, ambitious and revolutionary in many ways, wasn't it? Uh, for Canada, it was. I mean, there's a, a long history of uh, supper hour national news in the United States, but it had never really been attempted uh, successfully in Canada. Um, but I, I mean, I think the calculation that was made at the time was that, you know, there were these behemoths with CTV and CBC national news. Right. And, you know, Global's way was to try to sort of, at the time, was to try to sort of compete with them on their own turf. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I think the calculation was, and it turned out to be the right one, was that develop your own turf. Mm-hmm. You know, find a brand new audience for national news that isn't there currently and service it. 
And and that I remember was was you know the, really the great success is that um, you know CTV and CBC National News each had their audience and and then we found another you know three quarters of a million up to a million more yeah. people around the dinner hour that wanted that same service. So you know we didn't we didn't hurt anybody. We actually created um, a, a new uh, a new audience that continues to be served uh, at at the dinner hour, and there's no pun intended there. <laughs> <laughs> no, but when you think of it, um, and, and Global National has consistently outdrawn CBC News for 20 years, and uh, uh, certainly, uh, as you say, didn't take any numbers really away from the CTV um, newscast. Their national newscast has been dominant for many, many years. Um, but yeah, that's a lot of people, 800,000, a million people watching Global National. Um, yeah. Why do you think, Kevin, that there's this tradition that in America, uh, U.S. viewers, sometimes as many as 30 million, if you add up all the networks, I guess, at one time, watch it at supper time, the national news. And in Canada, we tend to do it later at night. Was there any reason for that historically, do you think? Um, probably money. Um, you know, there was a time when getting things moving fast enough to hit a supper hour national newscast mm-hmm. uh, required a great deal of financial resources that Canadian broadcasters didn't bring to bear. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Americans did, um, and they could they could move things fast enough. So I think ca- Canadian broadcasters, I'm guessing, the CBC was the first one out of the gate. A couple of years later, CTV, uh, they, you know, they, they needed the extra time. Yeah. And um, and they didn't want, uh, you know, the moneymakers uh, initially too. Um, were the local news. Uh, right. And that's still the case uh, in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, I think national news in Canada makes more money. So um, I, I think, as usual, you know, follow the money trail and you find the answer. <laughs> no, that's very true. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, Disruption is going to air, is it September 10th? Is that when you have it scheduled? Yeah. So Global will be running it September 10th, and then History Television will be running it over September 11th, which is a you know, important day because, you know, for most people, you know, that period is the 20th anniversary of the, of the 9-11 attacks. And so, you know, and that was sort of the birthing moment for Global National as well. We were on the air only for six episodes um, and had a sort of a concept of the show that was, you know, light and bright and like kind of issues like the war on drugs, which we don't have anymore. Right. Um, And, um, and then suddenly, um, you know, safety, uh, am I safe? Uh, are we going to be under assault? Uh, who is, who is going to attack us? All that stuff suddenly became massive news in a way that it hadn't for generations in and, North and America. In, in watching the special too, I, it was interesting. And there's several voices, of course, yours primarily, but your producers and other many correspondents that are on global national today. Um, there was a, a point that it was a, a a different concept in that you were going to provide more context, take your time on stories. And um, that all just went away on 9-11, didn't it? It did. You know, it's a a little like COVID, right? There are various uh, uh, public services that journalism provides at different times. And, and, you know, I would argue that we still need to do the accountability piece no matter what. Mm-hmm. Uh, challenge authority, challenge the decisions being made. But there's also a public service in an emergency like that where suddenly, you know, uh, stories about education, stories about healthcare, 
go down and stories of militaries being deployed, bombs being dropped, uh, elevate. And, you know, there will be many people who will say you're just, you know, following the violence. And that's true. Um, but in that point, I think if you remember back and you and I can for many others, this will be news. Right. Um, uh, suddenly it was like, um, am I safe? You know, the fundamental questions of the audience were, am I safe? Where is the threat? Will it happen here? Um, who are these people? You know, all those kind of big, 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 big questions. So at a time like that, you know, the, the newscast uh, became much more traditional um, and became, you know, what you need to know um, so that you can judge your own safety of your family, your neighborhood and your country. Mm -hmm. and, and it's in watching this special, too. And the point is made that. News has accelerated and has not let up since then, has it? I mean, it's yeah. just continued to to roll. I mean, it's when you and the special is great in showing the Arab Spring. I'd forgotten about the Arab Spring. What a hopeful, <laughs> wondrous, and interesting point that was. And then it just uh, Afghan war and, and of course climate change, Black Lives Matter, Donald Trump. It's just gone crazy. It's on fire every night, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I have a, I had a 40 year career in television news and, you know, it used to be that there would be an occasional big story every couple of months. Yeah. But after nine 11, uh, when anything seemed possible suddenly, yeah. Um, the news really did become much more rapid. Uh, it became scarier and, um, it became unrelenting. I mean, one of the reasons uh, I left Global National after 10 years is because uh, I was burnt out. Um, I was mm. I was tired of of shouldering, you know, all of that and the team behind me um, to report that. And um, so it's and it didn't let up uh, in the next 10 years. You oh, can no. talk to Donna Friesen about that and what her I, 10 years I have been to, like. Yeah. yeah, no, imagine uh, you dodged the Trump bullet. Uh, what, my God, they, what gets a gift for a journalist? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I covered it. I covered it at CTV at, at W5. Absolutely, yeah. Did some things there, so I didn't quite dodge it. I did, <laughs> I did dodge it, though, in, in daily news. Yeah. And, you know, the unrelenting um, aspect of the challenge. I mean, the whole idea of disruption, I mean, 9-11 was a massively disruptive, mm -hmm. disruptive event, but our thesis is that it unleashed uh, disruption in any number of ways in media, Mm -hmm. uh, in the fact that suddenly we were covering stories of things like the Arab Spring with cell phones. It unleashed uh, yeah. disruption in information, which we all know, you know, misinformation, disinformation. Mm -hmm. It has been, and then COVID was, you know, life disruption. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if we look back with that lens and, you know, that's what a history does. Mm -hmm. um, you know, journalism is usually sort of the first draft of history on the run. But when we looked back 20 years, we thought, wow, that 9-11 event and, and Global National going on the air really did harbor a very different era. And that era, um, we, we uh, propose, it was an era of disruption in any number of ways that we're still living in. It's crazy when you think of it. You couldn't possibly have timed it like this, but your timing in many ways was so precise uh you know and, and also just your own career uh kevin i mean you arrived uh to tackle this at a point with such credentials in terms of news coverage um uh very much steeped in the traditions of broadcast news 
on, on both the United States and in Canada, working newsrooms with tremendous uh, legendary uh, newscasters. Um, so when all hell broke loose, really, you were in the right place at the right time and the right job, weren't you? Well, and that's what somebody told me very early in my career, that um, you never know when that moment will arrive. Hmm. Um, and when that moment arrives for some people, they're not prepared because they haven't done the work. They haven't yeah. reported from the field. They haven't watched the greats like Peter Jennings do yeah. what he did. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, not to put too fine a personal point on it, but um, – when that moment arrived and that horror and that terror arrived, I had just left New York, the city under attack a month right. earlier. Yeah. Um, I, I, I knew certain things, for example, that, you know, when the first tower went down, it housed the transmission towers that relayed all the reporting around Manhattan. So there was, I remember very clearly, there was like a, a deafening silence when that first tower went down and we were getting wow. no pictures. We were getting no information. We couldn't access any reporters. And, th and that's simply because all of the communication throughout Manhattan go went through the, the, the tower on top of that tower. And so that kind of knowledge w was helpful. But mostly it was um, trying to stay calm um, because yeah. I watched this with Peter Jennings and with many others uh, over the years that um, in moments like that, when, when viewers are turning to you and, 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 and are afraid, mm -hmm. um, you have to um, make sure that you don't freak out yourself. Yeah, and that's not easy. But just out of curiosity, when you were living in New York, and um, there must have been occasions where you might have gone up to the top of the World Trade Center. They had a beautiful observation area and, and places there. Yeah, I, I went through it every day. Because, wow. uh, yeah, I mean, my, my commute in from New Jersey uh, would go through the, uh, the path station uh, that was underneath there. Oh my so um, I knew what the shops were. Um, I had friends that were working in that building uh, in the financial community. The town I lived in was Summit, New Jersey, and it was a financial uh, community. And I'll never forget this. Uh, the day after 9-11, I, I, I went to the parking lot where the um, transit would, uh, would, uh, would pick us up. And um, you couldn't go in that way, but I looked at the parking lot, and the parking lot was a quarter filled with cars from the day before because there was nobody there coming home to clean them. My God. Um, yeah, very sobering, of course. Tell us then, um, so many things to ask, Kevin. I, I'm going to step back first and just say, tell me a bit about New York and your work there with ABC. Uh, you mentioned uh, Jennings, of course, but... You were there at a time when uh, Canadians, there was a handful of you, Henry Champ, I believe, and uh, Morley Safer, of course, and of, and of course, Peter Jennings, who were these Canadians working for an American um, news, uh, you know, one of the top networks. Um, what was that like? I mean, did you, did, were you um, embraced by your colleagues in the States? Uh, was it, were they suspicious that you were a Canadian? How did that go? Well, I mean, one of the things they assume is that if you're Canadian, you must know Peter Jennings and you're a friend of his, <laughs> right? And um, yeah, that wasn't the case. It's possible right. to be Canadian and never have met Peter Jennings, but, right. you know, um, I, it, was, it was the best sandbox. Um, and, and the reason was is because of, again, the financial resources. I mean, as a Canadian broadcaster, 
you're sort of trained to say, we need to cover the story. Here's the most cost effective way to do it. And I can't, I know we can't afford that. So we won't get that. Um, you go to the States and it's like, what do you need to cover the story? Okay. Here are the resources you need to do it. Um, but it better be good. You can't right. fall behind that excuse of, well, I wanted to do that, but we couldn't afford it. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, I think I, I wish for everybody that at some point in their life and their career, they get the opportunity to use all the tools of the trade. Mm. Um, and that's, that's what it was like. Um, I was surprisingly unprepared, though, um, and made assumptions that I understood what it meant to report in America because as Canadians, we watch it all the time. Right. And I would watch American news and, and I was a junkie for it. I'd mm-hmm. studied American history in university. I'd studied American politics and, and I got down there and I realized that my reporter's antenna for what is news um, was very dull. Um, I wasn't as um, aware of the uh, incredible role that um, racism plays in, in, mm-hmm. in American politics and American life. Mm-hmm. Um, partially because I hadn't, I had grown up mostly in a white suburb of, of Toronto. Um, and um, yeah, I, I, I was always reminded that I was Canadian by, by what I didn't know. So what I tried to do is I tried to turn that to my advantage because um, uh, a Canadian is an outsider in American society. And it turns out that's exactly a good position for a reporter to be in right? because you can observe things uh, a little more dispassionately because it's not your country the same way. Yeah, there, so, there is, uh, Kevin, a, a distinction of what, what I've learned. Uh, and I was I belonged to a group of journalists that covered television, the Television Critics Association, and I was on their board at a time and, and came to learn that the, the, there are very fundamental differences between Canadians and Americans. And it's surprising. Uh, yeah. and, and, you know, things like, you know, come on, you don't really go to see a doctor and it's free. Do you like yeah. that concept is never quite understood or embraced. And, and it ran the ramifications for that about uh, this sort of what is seen as socialism, but it's just, there's a different kind of um, relationship to other people in, in some yeah. ways. Isn't it? And I would often use that in my reporting. I, I would I would go and I'd say, look, um, there's a country that's a lot like America uh, that has a slightly different history at one point in it and that it backed the king and, and not the Republicans. Uh, <laughs> but it's like it's possible to look at America through the prism of Canada and ask, what if different decisions were made? So I remember one decision, one story I did, they were talking about pharmaceutical prices and Claritin, for example. Yeah. And so I did a story, uh, Claritin uh, at the time was under prescription in the U.S. It was incredibly expensive, expensive. So I did this story. I compared Claritin in New York and Claritin in Toronto. And I compared the price. Uh, I compared uh, and I asked just rhetorically, so why is the same drug made by the same people so much cheaper in Canada than it is in the United States? And I said, well, there's one difference. You can't advertise this drug in Canada. And then I looked at the amount of money that American pharmaceutical companies spend on advertising Claritin, Mm -hmm. and it turned out it was about the difference in the cost of the two drugs. Isn't that incredible? Wow. Yeah. So if you you live in a country like America, what if you banned banned, uh, the advertising costs uh, of pharmaceuticals? Well, there's a country that does that. And here's the answer. You get a lot cheaper drugs. Kevin, if you banned pharmaceutical ads off of the U.S. nightly newscasts, there would be no commercials. There'd be no commercials. 
every single <laughs> it's night. True. It's somebody telling me it, how I can extend my life. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's all it was, uh, you know, 20 years ago as well. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe that's not self-serving, but it is the public. <laughs> we'll be right back after this message. Everybody seems to be going back and rewatching episodes of favorite TV shows. Are you? Oh, absolutely. The binge. It's a very deep and personal thing. Yes, it is. But how about Weeds? It's one of the modern TV favorites, such as Mad Men or the Royals, now exclusively available to stream and binge on Super Channel. Yeah, this is the one with Mary Louise Parker, right? Mary Louise Parker, Martin Donovan, Kevin Nealon from Saturday Night Live, Elizabeth Perkins, many guest stars too, Matthew Modine, Jennifer Jason Leigh, terrific show. Parker's the one, she plays a housewife who lives in Southern California in a suburb called Agrestic. Agrestic. That that sounds like the antidepressant I've had to start taking since you've asked me to join in these podcasts. Bill. Yeah, yeah, no, no, seriously. Anyway, after her husband dies, <laughs> she becomes a drug dealer in order to make ends meet. Ah, don't bogart my binge, Bill. No, of course. I remember Weeds. Fantastic reviews right out of the gate and uh, terrific performances yeah. from uh, Mary Louise Parker. So now I can watch multiple seasons all on Super Channel? Yes, you can. Now Weeds is easier to score than ever. <laughs> All eight seasons are on Super Channel Fuse or anytime on Super Channel On Demand. And don't forget, you can also watch the entire Super Channel menu through Amazon Prime or via the Apple TV app. Sounds good. Great. And we're back. Now, you talked about, uh, you know, you did, you weren't friends with Peter Jennings. It's like saying, oh, you're from Canada. Do you know Wayne Gretzky, I guess? Um, yeah. But you became friends with Peter Jennings, correct? And uh, got to know him pretty well. I did. I did. And in fact, when I left, um, in the back of my uh, cabin here is a uh, American flag that Peter gave me on my last day at the office. And cool. um, and he, uh, he had me, you know, they gathered the people at World News Tonight and he handed it to me and he told me that it had flown in the Capitol Dome. Wow. And I had fought sort of, you know, my Canadianness. And then he handed me this thing and I cried and it sent a chill up my spine. And I yeah. looked at him and I said, did you know how American I'd become? And he said, no, but I figured this was a way to find out. Wow. <laughs> and Isn't that a great I, story? Yeah, it was beautiful. It was really very special. And so... Yeah, I still have that flag. It's 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 right behind me, but it is sitting beside a flag I got when I left Global National uh, that once ran on the west block of the Peace Tower. So I've got my God. And what is the rule? You have to uh, the the American flag. Uh, is on the left of the Canadian flag if there's two? Is that how it works? Oh, there, oh, there's a rule, eh? There is a rule, I'm pretty sure. If I'm thinking back to my scouting days, so that's uh-huh. 55, 60 years ago, Peter. Let's not go there. Um, no, because I've broken it, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> but that's those are two amazing flags you have. Um, now, uh, you're, it's, it's September 11th, the morning of, and uh, you've just finished a week of this brand-new project. And you're probably not thinking about going to work for a few hours. And then the phone rings, I imagine. How did you find out that all hell was breaking loose? Um, It was 5.30 in Vancouver. Wow. um, When I got a phone call that something was coming up, uh, a plane, they weren't sure how big had hit the World Trade Center. um, And I should probably come in. So um, I jumped in the shower. And then while I was in the shower, my wife yelled, 
another plane is hit. Wow. And like everybody, it was that second when you went, oh, that's no accident. Right. Um, so um, I got in my car fast. Uh, because it was so early, there was very little traffic on the roads uh, in Vancouver. And I, what is usually a 30-minute drive took me 15. Yeah. Um, walked in, disheveled. Um, they were on the air uh, locally, and uh, I didn't know anything. Uh, I was listening to the radio on the way in, and I... I had heard the description of, of what people were describing. And then we went uh, up on the network, which wasn't an easy thing because the network hadn't been connected together for very long. Right. But we got up uh, at about a quarter to 10 Toronto time, quarter to seven. And then we went straight for 16 hours. I got, I got one break. Um, but you were afraid to take a break because – Information was sketchy. It was coming in slowly. Um, it was almost impossible to verify. Um, but you were afraid that if you left your seat, that something catastrophic would happen next. So 16 hours, pr- pretty much consecutive. Um, and, and, and starting at a point of the day when you're sleeping, uh, <laughs> you know, like. Um, yeah, you wake up fast when. Right. When those calls come. And, and yeah. is it adrenaline that kicks in? What is it that sustains you through that? Um, it's adrenaline. It's fear. It's um, understanding that you are at the apex um, of a lot of information that people are collecting on your behalf. And it's up to you to traffic cop that information. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, when you're in that point... There are people in the control room that are getting pitches for information. They do an assessment of what's verified and what isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they give me um, choices of we could go here, here, or here. And then based upon the story that I'm telling out of my head, because there's no script in a moment like this. Right. Um, you basically lead the control room and say, and now I like you go over to this right. because you can't the, – the thing about live news is you can't have a conversation with your control room or anybody while you're talking to the audience. So it really is um, a dance between the um, people who are feeding you information from the field, the feeds that you're getting in television, and it's up to you as the point person to decide – what story am I going to weave and how much of that story am I confident that I can say? So to your point about being well-trained, um, those live events of that magnitude, if you haven't been a reporter, right. You're in a lot of trouble, right? Because you don't know what to say. You don't know what's safe to say. Mm. Um, you don't, you haven't seen enough for yourself uh, and you don't have enough context from your own reporting past to be able to fill 16 hours. And as a newsman and a, a journalist, uh, what is the default that's going through your head? Like, say nothing until there's two sources or, you know, you, you must have a threshold when you're reporting this so that people aren't panicked. What, what, what is that for you? Um, uh, if it's an eyewitness that's credible mm-hmm. and you can see with your own eyes, you just talk about what you're seeing. Hmm. Um if you have a reporter that is in a location that is getting information, you just quote the reporter or you just give that part of the broadcast over the reporter. Mm-hmm. You trust that everybody along the line is doing their best to verify uh, and that um, everybody is together in not wanting to overly alarm people. 
that event was plenty alarming. No um, kidding. People could see the event within their own eyes. And, um, you know, there were aspects that never got on air that day. I remember there was one, we were on a shot and we could see people jumping. Right. And uh, that happened, got it once because we didn't anticipate that that would be happening. Right. Um, so after that, uh, a filter went on that, you know, if there was an image, uh, the control room wouldn't feed it up. Wow. Um, the other interesting thing is that image of the planes hitting the towers. Yeah. Hasn't been seen by a lot of people. And in the documentary, we had a big discussion of, well, is it time to show that again? Um, because as you know, in media, typically you don't show a moment of death on television. Right. Uh, or you warn people about it if it's going to happen. Um, mm -hmm. And um, the, you know, in the day of in the immediate aftermath, we, we ran the pictures. And then in the week after, every media started to not use it gratuitously and started backing away. But when we did this um, documentary, we, we had a discussion of, well, is it possible that like an entire generation has grown up that didn't see right. the towers right. being hit? Right. And the answer was yes. And so we thought, well, in, you know, in, 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 in tribute to um, the enormity of that thing, uh, we, we did put it in the documentary again with a warning. Yeah, you have to, I think. And it's I'm thinking back, you know, to when you and I were kids, like in 1965 or, um, you know, watching television. And and the idea that that was that twenty years earlier was the end of World War Two, mm -hmm. well, you know that didn't really resonate with me at all. I wasn't born. I didn't you know live through World War Two, but that's the same distance between now and nine eleven, isn't it? Like yeah, you know, it's it, you you really need to know and uh, and and uh, you know it, it would, if you were to. In the fifties, show footage of the Hindenburg exploding. You'd have to show it bursting into flames. You know. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, when with the passage of time, um, the sensitivity changes mm -hmm. because it is history now. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, for you and I, like, I can still, uh, in a moment's notice, tear up about it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, you were you were so immersed in it, and and it was personal. Uh, who were the, the boots on the ground for Global? Who were, were the correspondents that you would have been talking to on that day uh, during the actual reporting? Yeah, we had uh, Troy Reeb, who now um, is like the senior vice president of Chorus. So, right. Yeah, so he was uh, a brand new reporter for Global National that day, and he wow. went down. Uh, Wilf Dinnick, um, who went on to um, work at ABC, CNN, and Al Jazeera. He was there that day. Mm. You know, I think for a generation of reporters, it was the seminal moment of their careers. Right. Um, everything changed afterwards. I mean, I'm reminded that, you know, that first wave of young reporters that we sent to cover the Iraq uh, invasion mm -hmm. and later the Afghan war, um, there hadn't been a generation of Canadian war reporters uh, right. since the Second World War, or maybe wow. a little bit in Vietnam, but not many. And so suddenly um, we had to train the entire staff um, into covering conflict zones and into being behind the lines. And it was um, it was a, it was a it was a it was an onerous undertaking because um, the generation before that was uh, trying to guide them uh, didn't have much war war conflict experience. 
Well, it's it's uh, played out in disruption. The the special we're talking about that's airing on September 10th uh, on Global, and it there are scenes of the uh, Afghan war um, where reporters are being guided by a young uh, a soldier who um, is is very professionally and calmly explaining what's happening, and then we learn later that this young man um, didn't survive much longer. Uh, who was who was guiding the news people to the story? So um, you're right. You, you, where do you get that kind of training? And um, only by being there, I guess, right? Yeah. And and so what we have now is we have a generation of conflict hardened uh, reporters um, mm-hmm. that that you know we didn't have um, at that time. That that young man, uh, uh, Captain Mad Daw. Um, who did not survive, but was one of the many who we were embedded with. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting thing about him was um, he he shows up in my life uh, in surprising times. Um, I, I remember interviewing Stephen Harper uh, many years later, uh, in a, just as he was becoming prime minister. And I looked mm-hmm. uh, behind him as I was interviewing him, and I saw a portrait of Matt. And after the interview was over, I thought it was too personal to ask on camera. I asked uh, Mr. Harper, did you know Matt? Um, And he said, no, but I know people who know Matt. And he is my reminder uh, that anytime I make decisions, it's for young people like Matt. Wow. And later he would show up uh, in behind a CEO's desk who was running the Invictus Games. And so um, in the document, Matt left a son behind. Um, and when he died, a very young uh, baby. And in the documentary, um, one of the reporters yeah, who traveled with Matt mm-hmm. um, had the honor to be able to talk about Matt uh, with his son in a way that his son, um, you know, hadn't heard for 20 years. It's a very moving moment. Uh, this young man talking to a reporter about his dad that he never knew. Uh, there's a few moments like that for sure. So congrats for pulling that together. We'll be right back after this message. Remember getting those fall preview issues of TV Guide? They'd be packed with photos, all sorts of information about what the next must-see shows might be. Well, September is still special at CTV. They hope you get into it with their latest offerings, including one already getting a lot of buzz, a remake of The Wonder Years. The old version was all about Kevin and Winnie and growing up in the suburbs back in 1968. The new Wonder Years recast the series with an African-American family, again set in the late 60s, but this time in Montgomery, Alabama. The series stars Dulé Hill, is narrated by Don Cheadle, and features E.J. Williams as 12-year-old Dean. Fred Savage, who played young Kevin in the original, is among the directors and executive producers. The Wonder Years premieres Wednesday, September 22nd on CTV. That same night, look for the premiere of the new singing competition, Alter Ego, where contestants audition as one of their singing idols. September 22nd also brings new episodes of that wacky competition show, The Masked Singer, as well as the return of one of my favorite comedies, The Connors. And speaking of returning series, the CTV original Jan, starring singer-songwriter Jan Arden, is back for a third season. That same night, look for the return of both Bob Hart's Abishola and a new season of Canada's most-watched series, The Good Doctor. September brings another bingeable season, so get into it on CTV. (laughs) 
And we're back. The special also for folks who are watching, it's an opportunity to um, kind of understand the camaraderie and the um, working relationship that anchors and reporters and producers have, isn't it? It's a unique time. I worked at the yeah. Toronto Sun uh, the, on 9-11. I remember coming in and we did a bugle edition, which I'd never even heard of. And it was basically an afternoon edition because the story had happened that day. And uh, it was one of the few times I actually felt like a journalist because I wrote about television, which was the toy department at, at a newspaper. But um, certainly we all had to pull together to tell a story. <laughs> Uh, and and so, you know, you work in those environments and you have those relationships, but it was fun to see in Disruption that you included outtakes and just some fun times and stories with folks who are normally under such tremendous stress that they don't really get a chance to let their hair down like that. Well, and to me, uh, Bill, it was I was hoping for an answer to the kind of thing that I hear all the time, which is that, you know, mainstream media, you guys are fakes, you're frauds, you make it up, you're working for governments, you're not doing the right thing, you're um, you're dumb, you're manipulative, you're all these things, and it's that's the conversation. And we Who, who are the these time. horrible people you're talking to? <laughs> Why are they saying these things? <laughs> really? Some of them are friends. Wow. Um, but what I wanted disruption to do was to um, answer that. Yeah. And to show that, like, as as much maligned as mainstream media is, it is filled with some really extraordinary people who care a lot, who put their own lives on the line, uh, trying to find out what's going on, mm. and who, you know, need a drink or two when it's all over. And it's, you know, there's a stoicism to mainstream media that we don't often lift the veil. Right. And because I knew these people, and because I've cared for them for so long, because they knew me, um, we were comfortable sort of talking to each other the way that we would talk to each other if we were sitting beside one another and not broadcasting. Right. And so what I hope viewers get is a, is a, a better appreciation of the quality of people um, who are trying their best to get information and who do so at, at not only physical harm, but emotional harm too. Um, yeah. There's a great moment where, you know, one of my favorite colleagues um, admits that, you know, what people don't recognize sometimes is that we as journalists wear the trauma of the people that we're trying to talk to and share their stories with. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've talked about that before. That was, you know, one of the reasons I left Global National is I, I didn't feel strong enough to, conti to continue uh, in the daily in the daily world. Well, as you say, you're, you're it's like forming a diamond under pressure. I mean, uh, just take that 9-11, 16-hour day. Uh, you have to be stoic and uh, very calm. What did you do after 16 hours? Did you just break down? I mean, that would have been a hard time, right? I did. Um, I was driving back on um, the uh, Coquitlam Highway mm -hmm. uh, home, and it was a beautiful day uh, on September 11th in Vancouver. Blue mm -hmm. skies, mountains were shining, and uh, it was so beautiful, and I had just witnessed – and experienced uh, from a distance such horror of what was happening in New York that I did. I pulled over to the side and I, I cried uncontrollably for about half an hour. And then I didn't cry for a year um, because it was too busy and I kept it in and you've got to execute and you got to stay strong. A year later, we were back for the one year anniversary after and there were just the big pits in lower Manhattan. Yeah. And we did a show commemorating it. And I, 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 there was, yeah, it was an emotional day for everybody. 
But I saw this one moment where my former neighbors and others who had lost people were in the pit, in the dust, and um, I was able to hold it together. But that time, a year later, was the only time I cried since 9-11. And that time, I, I couldn't get myself under control after the show um, for about 45 minutes. And it wow. all came out. Um, well, it's totally understandable, my God. Um, and and that 16-hour day was probably followed by a 12-hour or a 10-hour or like you'd been on the air probably four days in a row, right? Just night and day. Yeah, that, that period was very intense. Um, it it was um, – you have to remember that it was such a shock and such a surprise that nobody for months, maybe years, didn't doubt that that would happen again quickly. It's kind of miraculous. Yeah. And, and the result of, I'm sure, a lot of police work and intelligence work that we're not aware of. Uh, it's kind of miraculous. I'm in a wood house. I'll touch wood everywhere. Right, that we right. didn't have something of that of that nature so quickly. Although but, Kevin, th- there was always something. There was a gunman walking into the parliament buildings, or there's a yeah, there was always direction. Yeah, and so we we learned, you know, to expect the unexpected. Mm-hmm. But in the, that period after 9/11, in that few weeks, right. um, we we had to have everybody on a on you know a high alert footing because we weren't sure you know whether there were other sh- other parts of this to drop on Canada too. Right. People forget. I, I remember this story very well. I was in the anchor desk and we got word that there was a Korean Airlines jumbo jet that wasn't responding to answers. And it was coming in over Alaska and coming in over British Columbia. Hmm. And uh, I remember talking about this, that um, it had been spotted over Whitehorse. And I had to relay this information because people needed to know, but that, yeah. that jet was not... Um, not uh, providing answers that jet ended up landing in Vancouver safely. Um, the pilots, we found out later that, sorry, excuse me. Uh, we found out later that, um, the prime minister had faced a decision of whether to shoot that Korean airlines jet out of the sky. Wow. Uh, but they answered in time, but there was, it was, it was crazy. It was you, because no one had ever imagined anybody would fly a jet into an office tower. Right. It made you think, well, what, what else crazy and insane could happen? And so, you know, everybody was traumatized. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about uh, uh, Troy Reeb. Uh, how close was he? Just uh, you mentioned him. In being he he went in. So, uh, yeah. So that day, you know, you couldn't get into Manhattan if you weren't already there. And we right. weren't already there. Yeah. So he was across um, in New Jersey looking back at it. And then overnight, because, you, you know, people don't sleep overnight, he was able to uh, get on a bridge and get in. Wow. And then gradually we, they started moving closer and closer to ground zero. Mm-hmm. Um, it was hard at first uh, because the police had barriers up and then bit by bit it became easier. <laughs> and so what, Troy and Barry Acton was his cameraman, and it was the two of them. What they did was they became a, a lightning rod uh, for people who couldn't find their relatives. People would walk up to any camera, it didn't matter that it was from Canada, and just say, right. this is my relative, thinking that maybe they're lost somewhere and watching television that they might be able to be seen. So it was it was heartbreaking, and I, I know many of our, our troops um, struggled 
um, right after um, Barry Acton, who was our first cameraman there. Yeah. Um, he was there for two weeks. And afterwards, um, he went and went fly fishing for a few days. And he told me that he can't remember those few days. He knows he stood in a river. He knows he caught fish, but he has no memory of what he was thinking right after because it was just too much for him to process. Incredible. Um, you would have been too busy to have looked or checked, but uh, I don't know, in retrospect, did you uh, pay any attention to what other anchors were doing on that day? You know, it was not, wouldn't it have been like you and Lloyd and Peter in a bar swapping stories, but uh, you guys have this unique experience that very few had. And I, I remember even Peter Jennings watching his coverage for part of, the, of different days. Um, uh, have you had any kind of a comparison with others? Have you seen any of the other coverage from people on that day? Um, I haven't because I find it very difficult to watch. Right. Um, I hadn't watched myself uh, until I started working on this documentary because uh, I didn't want to dredge up that much stuff. It's funny. No, I mean, I've, you know, um, I worked with Lloyd at CTV after yeah. Global and it, it has not come up. Um would be a very it would be an interesting panel maybe yeah um yeah. but but for me it was just um you know for 20 years uh i i didn't want to watch coverage of of that story again because um i find it enormously difficult and i needed to heal from it right we'll be right back after this message Well, if it isn't my old pal, Emily Gagne. Emily, lovely to see you again. Lovely to see you, Bill. And listen, you are the uh, marketing manager for Hollywood Suite. Hollywood Suite, longtime sponsor here at Brio TV. What can you entice us with coming up in the next month or so? Well, you know, I'm really excited, Bill, about our music and movies stunt. So this is a collection of movies that feature music. Uh, this could be a musical, you know, like a movie like a Mamma Mia or something, or it could be a music documentary featuring some of the biggest artists of all time, you know, just people like Coldplay, Paul Simon, The Who, Jimi Hendrix, you know, yeah. just just a few big names. I've heard of those folks, yes. There's also some music films, so if you're a fan of like the Blues Brothers, you know, the 1981, uh, not Blues Brothers 2000, just to be clear, uh, and uh, Detroit Rock City is a fun one, filmed in Hamilton, actually, so wow. that's... That's a fun fact. Um, and then uh, I really like, I really recommend Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Danes. It is from the 80s. It's like a punk rock film with uh, a young Diane Lane and a young Laura Dern. And uh, I really wanted to put on your radar the premiere of Metric Dream So Real. It's the broadcast premiere, so this is a big deal for us. Uh, but of course, Metric is a good Canadian band, uh, and we're really proud to be premiering that film. My goodness, that's fantastic. So you know Hollywood Suite? Watch hundreds of movies and TV series on four channels and on demand all from $5 a month. Emily, $5 a month. That's a, how, how can you do it? Can't get better than that. Pretty good deal. That's Hollywood sweet. Thanks a lot, Emily. Thank you, Bill. And we're back. Kevin, just switch gears then. What, how did you get into this? You grew up in Toronto. I mean, you know what I mean? Who are your heroes in terms of journalism? Were you a fan of 
uh, folks. I was on. a fan of Peter Truman, who just recently passed oh, away. Oh, my goodness. That's right. Yeah. And he was yeah, the first and, when Global began, right? It was Peter Deras yeah. and... And he was the first um, anchor that I worked for uh, right. right out of school. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I was thinking about Peter and we had conversations our entire lives together, um, I really did pattern uh, a lot of my um, myself in, in my profession on, on Peter Truman because he was um, he had a high level of integrity. Uh, he was demanding. Um, he cared so much about the duty and obligation of a reporter. And, um, and he was a bit of a father figure to me. And I would always, you know, not so secretly crave his uh, approval. So that's sort of how I started. I was a news junkie. I would watch his newscasts and then, you know, um, uh, was pushy enough to come in as a guy who would rip wire copy when that's what we did in a newsroom and then um, learn the craft um, by watching. I didn't go to journalism school or anything like that. Not that it's bad. Um, and um, I didn't just journalism. I didn't go to journalism school either, uh, which is evident to anyone who's ever read anything I've written. But um, it's not true. <laughs> well, being hard on yourself is another uh, is another occupational hazard. Right. Exactly. Um, well, th- then, just tell me what would have suggested this path to you? That that besides, you know, like uh, oh. sh- I, I was, um, I had. I had done student government in uh, high school and then I went to Western and I thought, do I want to be involved in student government there? So I went and I sat in on um, one of their meetings just as a you know student mm-hmm. and I saw the reporter for the Western Gazette, the newspaper, the student newspaper there. And I saw them and I watched what they were doing. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. You don't actually have to make the hard decisions. You can just sort of judge people for the decisions they make. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've I've uh, often thought it's better to throw stones and be a target. Yeah. So. Yeah. uh, No, it's true. (laughs) But up up until that point, I thought, well, you know, no. Are you just afraid to go in and make the tough choices? But then I I, kind of liked that distance and that perspective and so that's so i got involved in campus journalism i helped start up a campus radio station at western um we did you know long form interviews there one of my first interviews was with leonard nimoy uh, who was in town doing a wow um doing a, a play there and i realized that when i called up and said hey it's kevin newman from chrw um people said yes what would you like would you like an interview with mr nimoy and i went Oh shit! Is that all it takes? <laughs> you just have to work organization. You got like interview all these people. Wow! And it turns out, yeah, kind of. That's it. It was a. It was like my my realization that if you if you were curious and you didn't and you wanted to see things in your time and yeah. you were a middle class kid and didn't have a lot of money, journalism um, was it was was it was a backstage pass. And it's so, true. Yeah, passport. Yeah, so I fell into. Yeah. No, I understand that. That's pretty cool. Wow. You talked to Spock. My God. Uh, I talked to most of them. Did you? You know, when I was looking back at it, like it was Spock. I talked to Duhan. I talked to Kirk in my career. I talked to Picard. I talked to all of those guys. And and I was a trekker when I was a kid. So one of the beauties of journalism is if you're lucky enough, you get to surround yourself and get to actually meet people who are your childhood heroes. I was lucky to talk to most of them as well. you know, Spock briefly to Leonard Demoy and uh, uh, Picard. That gentleman, uh, w- I've never laughed so much on the phone. That was a real treat talking to 
the actor. He's a naughty boy, isn't he? In his interviews, he is. He is very. Yeah, he's uh, spicy dude. He is a spicy dude, and I enjoyed it. Uh, so it's fun to talk to those guys for sure. Who is it? Is there someone that stands out as the one, the most impressive or the most unforgettable for you in terms of an interview? Ooh. You know, it's not the famous people. Right. Um, it really is the person who finds themselves in an extraordinary situation who um, the only thing that they're prepared to handle it with is their character. Yeah. And, um, you know, I wish I could remember names, but those are the ones that I think I'm really privileged to be able to have the power of this incredible light and to like shine it on you for a little moment because yeah. there's probably nobody else in your life that's going to say it's amazing. Was there a and, prime minister perhaps that uh, was the most fun to talk to? Uh, I wouldn't say many of them are very fun to talk to. Right. Um, you know, um, some of them have varying degrees of respect for right. what we do. Yeah. Um, I think John Turner had a lot of respect for what we did. Mm-hmm. Pierre Trudeau in his own way had respect for what he did because he would challenge you to do better. Right. Uh, I, yeah. You know, he would, you know, I sometimes wish politicians felt comfortable enough to do this often enough, but he would say, that's a really dumb question. Try harder. Yeah. And if you did, and it was a good question, he'd engage it. Right. And so I think he made us better yeah. by saying, I'm not just going to give you words. I'm actually going to do you the honor of like taking your questions seriously. But, you know, for Christ's sake, give me a serious question. Yeah. And uh, I like that about him. Um, yeah. He was frustrating. He was rude. He was dismissive. But if you if you really put thought into the question and it challenged him, he'd stop dead in his tracks and he'd engage you. And René Levesque uh, as well. Oddly, wow. the two greats of yeah. that battle. Yeah. They were um, they had enough respect for journalism um, to demand that you respect it yourself. Wow. Well, those are some big, big names um, for sure. And I, I was quite an admirer. I, when I was a teenager, I did get a, a chance to meet uh, Pierre Trudeau and and talk to him very briefly, but it was uh, quite memorable, for sure. Um, and and Kevin, um, now that you're um, you you are, I mean I should I should ask do, do you have a news Do you watch much television news? Do you watch uh, network news or are all news channels? Are you? Um, I don't watch all news channels. No. Um, Why not? Um, yeah, they're triggering. <laughs> <laughs> they are. Well, that's they are. I, I mean, that's they're triggering for any viewer, but they're especially triggering if you've been in the middle of that for a long time. Well, um, that, that's sort of leading to what I was going to ask was, um, you must be aghast or just stunned at the polarization of, uh, of news on, on these channels that, yeah, it's where, frustrating. Where, you know, where you, your your tradition and your, uh, you know, again, you mentioned all these great giants of then that field. To be uh, nonpartisan was part of the training, or, or not to betray a bias. And now, well, and that there is there is there is nonpartisanship. I think you know what 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 alarms me, and I'm talking about the American all news stations. I think the Canadian yeah. ones are still pretty credible on this. But what alarms me is that there's an assumption that like everyone is partisan and that you're either left or you're right. Right. And if you say something one way, then you must be the other. And it's just nonsense. Right. I mean, I grew up at a time when, um, 
most people were nonpartisan. They would, they would, you know, they would vote for different people according to the issues uh, in, in any particular campaign. Yeah. Um, and and those all news stations in the America, I think, have have poisoned the well as well by being so partisan. Yeah. And I'm talking not only about Fox. I'm talking about MSNBC and CNN. Sure. Um, yeah. They they call themselves news networks, and I wish they'd stop. I wish they'd call themselves talk shows. Yes. No, That's you're right. That's all they are. They're opinion yeah. shows in the same way it's talk radio. They brought talk radio to television because it's incredibly cheaper to, to produce. You don't actually have to go out and report. Right. Um, and and <laughs> it's, um, true. it's true. I find as, as someone who watches a lot of CNN, I'm bored with uh, the talk show format. And, I'm, and except for maybe on election nights or someplace where John yeah, King is pointing to a map, uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of feeling the weight of this bias constantly. Uh, you know, it makes yes. me doubt my own beliefs. Yeah. Uh, and it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's addictive. It's um, irresponsible and it's not journalism. It yeah. is, um, it is opinion. Um, uh, it is opinion. Let me, th- let me draw my words here. It is opinion curated to keep you watching. Yeah, that's perfect. It's true. Um but it is also uh, off-putting and makes you distrust the whole thing. You might as well the be watching. Thing, yeah, you know, it's like wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I, you know, I grew up watching the great wrestling shows, and uh, it's uh, not much different now. Um, well, uh, listen, uh, just this again. The special is called Disruption. Is that the full title, Kevin? It's Disruption: Twenty Years of Global National. Right. Does it seem like twenty years has gone by? Um, yes and no. Yeah. Yes, in that so many of the stories I still have an emotional reaction to, so they're mm-hmm. current and real. Mm-hmm. Um, when I see myself in it, <laughs> yeah, that's 20 <laughs> years. <laughs> there's nothing worse than like growing old on television. There's, there's one point in it where I sort of watched myself 20 years ago, and um, yeah, it's weird. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, but mostly I'm just, because in the early days of that show, we weren't sure whether it would survive, and it was a requirement of the CRTC that it right. would be funded for five years, but yeah. there was no guarantee it would last that. So I, I take a great deal of pride that we were able to create something 20 years ago that survived, that is financially stable yeah. and works, and um, still storytells uh, at a high level. So I, I feel good about that. And in fact, if you look at broadcast television now, really the pillars that are left are news and sports, aren't they? I mean, people tuned to broadcast for live television you can't find out on netflix what just happened uh right and uh so um as as much as broadcast that their share of the pie has certainly been sliced thin um it's still where you go to find out what just happened and still has a role still has a good sized audience i mean you know you know, Lisa gets a million viewers. You know, uh, Global National is not far behind. CBC is a little farther behind, but yeah. it's still it's 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 still useful. I think. Oh, I think yeah, for sure. Well, listen, congratulations on this. You're the executive producer, correct? And uh, yeah, and uh, I had a, and I uh, helped direct it with uh, Mike Armstrong, who's uh, uh, one of the longest serving Global National correspondents. Are we going to see more uh, uh, documentaries from you along these lines? Do you think? Don't know. Yeah, the beauty of being retired is you can say, "What would I, what would I like to do?" And yeah, so, yeah. You know, I, I, nothing's coming my way right now, so I'm 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 content with that.
Well, good for you. I hope that uh, you get opportunities that you're excited about uh, because this is a, a good one. It's a it's a Thank great you, it's a great hour. Really, urge is it one hour or ninety minutes? It's an hour. It is an hour. Okay, um, and uh, it's uh, very much recommended. Anyone who's fascinated by this, we're going to be seeing a lot of nine eleven uh, programming. I'm sure the next month. But definitely make sure to catch disruption. Uh, Kevin, great to talk to you again. Good to catch up and uh, great to see you so beaming and healthy there and in, and in a fun environment. It's, it's uh, good for you. I'm fortunate. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. That's it for this episode of Brio TV, the podcast. Please follow and subscribe for all the info on future episodes. And remember, you can always catch up on TV news and reviews daily at Brio.tv. Thanks for listening.